year? Last year. Last year, Iowa played Indiana in week one, blew the doors off of a ranked Indiana team. It was the opening game of the season. And uh, it was the first time that fans were allowed back in Kinnick since the pandemic. So I was there. And also, it was the first game where they served beer in the stadium as well. So I was there, beer in hand, watching Iowa win it going away. It was a uh, pretty phenomenal feeling, honestly. I did have a beer. This this was my first college football beer at the game, so that was that was a new experience. Yeah, it's a it's a good experience when stadiums can offer that. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that that isn't uh, nationwide at every stadium, but I'm assuming at some point in the future it probably will be. Can you go in and out of Kinnick with a beer? You can't go out. Like, I guess, way to say that question. Once you leave the stadium, can you get back in? Because at Autzen, it was once you're out, you cannot come back in the stadium. I am not 100% sure. I think, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's once you're out, you can't come back in because then people could keep sneaking in alcohol. You know, you know what I mean? So that was in, in my college days, that was the best part about the game is go out during halftime tailgate, drink some more beers and then trickle your way back in, in the third quarter or later, depending on the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And now, you know, I think there's like updated rules about tailgating. The tailgating starts later in the day. It's more dependent upon the game time. Like you can't just start at 6am regardless of the game time. So I think some stadiums are flipping to that model. On that note, uh, really, the really wacky game that Iowa had, I, I don't mean to turn this into an Iowa football podcast, but they, they played a seven-hour football game last week because of multiple rain delays. But the stadium stopped selling beer two hours into the game. So for the last five hours, <laughs> the fans were in multiple rain delays in Kinnick Stadium with with no beer accessible to them, I I can't imagine. So what they were just trapped under? Because I was I caught this late, and then I suddenly jumped on Twitter. I'm not a huge Twitter person, especially college football Twitter, because it's all the worst parts of the fan base's belly aching. But I was having a field day reading Hawkeye Twitter as people were screaming about the game. I thought people like went home or went out tailgating and then came back in later. They're just like, hey, whoever wants to come in at one a.m., come on in. But were people actually like trapped in the bowels of the stadium? People were people, yeah, were like in the bowels of the stadium, and people. I'm I'm sure they did let people go. Some people go out if they wanted to, but for the most part. Um, and then at some points, like security was telling them that the game was called off, and it wasn't actually called off. Um, just it was just a real wacky night at Kinnick Stadium, but. The main part I wanted to get across is people spent five hours without beer, and I don't know how at a football game. Yeah, that's not what you want in a college football atmosphere. No, not at all. So um, that's all I'll say about that. Well, that's that's where we want to start this week's show is talking about college football. Now that we're three weeks in, kind of what's stood out to you looking at some of the teams who have impressed you or disappointed you. And then I want to get to this sleeping giant conversation here in a minute, but kind of looking at where we're at, there are currently, there are 32 teams still three and oh, so 32 teams still in the playoff hunt and looking at the rankings here, not a whole lot surprising at the top, the the usual suspects you expect 
Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson kind of seem to be pacing the field. You've got Michigan getting mixed in there, Oklahoma, USC. So not a whole lot impressive, you know, out of the ordinary there. So I guess we'll start. Who has impressed you the most kind of looking at this next tier of teams? Kentucky looking very good at 3-0. and Oklahoma State's in there. Arkansas, Tennessee, NC State, Utah, the first one-loss team, and then Penn State. So of the teams who we expected to be good, who's really stood out to you? Um, I think uh, Georgia is a real threat to repeat. I think that's what we've learned from the first two weeks is that Georgia looks like the best team in college football, and it doesn't look to be close yet again. Um, a team that isn't in the rankings currently, but I believe will be probably after this week. And I think you probably know where I'm going with this. A team that's impressed me, the Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> Three and oh, fresh off their big Somehow. win against the Houston Cougars, which a lot of people had Houston as a top 25 team preseason and they've kind of fallen off a little bit so who knows what weight that win will hold but Kansas hosting Duke at home both teams three and oh in a non-basketball game in a non-basketball game but also Kansas a real chance to move to four and oh and I think they will do it and possibly enter in the rankings it's crazy. Which sets up an interesting thing for next week for your Cyclones. Game day. If they're, if they're able to sneak past Baylor, which I think they definitely could at home, they would also be 4-0 and would possibly enter the rankings. Iowa State, Kansas next week, 4-0 ranked teams. College college game day at Kansas? Um, not, I, or big noon I've kickoff, heard, whatever we care about now? I've heard I've heard uh, the talk about college game day and all that, and it's just not going to happen next week um, for that game, no matter what those teams are ranked, because of the uh, we have Arkansas, Texas A and M, we have Florida, Tennessee next week. So either of those games, well, actually, no, that's this week. My bad. I'm pulling. I'm pulling up the schedule to see what we got for competition for that. Saturday, Alabama, Arkansas, Alabama, Arkansas is the big one. Kentucky, Ole Miss also for game day. NC State, Clemson, maybe NC State, Clemson. Right. So, yeah, next uh, week is a loaded schedule. Yeah, unless Iowa State, Kansas both vaulted into the top 10 somehow, I don't foresee uh, college game day or big noon kickoff being there. And that's. So to get some background here, Kansas' head coach is Lance Leipold, who I didn't know a whole lot about. He did turn Buffalo around, which is an achievement in itself. So he was there one, two, three, four, five. He was there six years and started out five and seven, two and ten, and then six and six, ten and four, eight and five. Uh, I think Khalil Mack was there before him and graduated by the time he got there. Um, and then was six and one in his last year, COVID shortened season. His first year at Kansas, 2021, went two and ten. And you kind of think, oh well, you know, same old Kansas. But then this year, three and zero. Already, you know, it's if whatever he's doing, if he's truly this great, that is impressive that he can turn Kansas around because they've been bad for since Mark Mangino left. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Since Mark Mangino left, they had that the brief Charlie Weiss era for a little bit, um, and I I couldn't even tell you who else they've had in there. They're, Since Mark Mangino left, 
so their their really good year was 2007. They had Mangino, and they went to the Orange Bowl that year. They made it to number two in the AP poll, which is crazy for Kansas. And he was like a 500 coach before then, and then they popped that year. Their last winning season was with Mangino, and they went eight and five in 2008. Let's hear. Yeah. Here's here's a fun game. How many Kansas coaches can you name since Mark Mangino? You already said Charlie Weiss. There have been one, two, three others. Yeah, it's I really Charlie Weiss is the only name that's sticking out. I think, um, and I I I am having a real hard time with anybody else. So they had Turner Gill, who I also think came from Buffalo, was maybe like a coordinator at Michigan for a while and was a coach at Buffalo. Sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, that name sounds very familiar. Yeah. He had five wins in two seasons. And then Charlie Weiss, one and 11, three and nine, three and nine. Uh, this David Beatty guy, who I don't know much about. I think I actually watched one of their games in person when he was there. But he was 0 and 12, 2 and 10, 1 and 11, got them to three and nine was his best year. And then how quickly we forget, they had less miles for two years until that fell apart but he had three wins in two seasons so Lance Leipold is already so the the most wins they've had since 2009 is three and he's already at that juncture he gets one more win and he's the best coach in 15 years wow um that's uh that's saying something and I, I think he's gonna get it too um I fully expect him to get it and it's not just that they're winning um they're kind of winning convincingly in some of these games and they're putting up tons of points while doing it. So it's very uh, it's very interesting to watch. And people are starting to pay attention. And also, people are paying attention to Vanderbilt a little bit. I think they just got the doors blown off of them this past week. But um, kind of a similar scenario where Vanderbilt seems to be winning football games now. And people are not sure what to do. And teams like Kansas and Duke and Vanderbilt are seemingly trying to get their act together in football. Wouldn't that be great to get some parody, change things up a little bit? It would be great. Um, I don't expect uh, Kansas to remain on top of the Big 12 like they are now by the end of the season, though. I do, however, think they have a legit shot at maybe getting to six wins and finding their way into a bowl game, which would be an incredible season for them. I'm all for that. And and I know it's only been three weeks. We don't have a whole lot of change, but can we all just revel in Notre Dame being not good? I was only cheering for them when they almost beat Ohio State. That would have been even better had they beat Ohio State and then proceeded to lose. But your preseason poll was Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. All right, those four make sense. Then you had Notre Dame, who's lost Texas A&M, Utah, Michigan, Oklahoma, Baylor were the preseason top 10. So really not a lot of change there. You know, you had a team like Arkansas who's moved up, Kentucky's moved up, Old Miss has moved up. Not a whole lot of change in your top 25, except for you look right there at the top. Notre Dame is kind of the one glaring team that people thought were going to be good. North Dakota State did, or North Dakota State, Nebraska did get one preseason top 25 vote, but Notre Dame really stands out there as a glaring difference compared to everybody around them. Yeah, and they have, they have been uh, really bad this year. You're right. That's been a, one of the big, big shockers. How about uh, the Appalachian State Mountaineers going into Texas A&M College Station and winning that football game? That was, I think that was like the best week of college football we had. Was that week two? That was just upset central? I believe that was week two where it, there were just lots of of upsets. Because it, it all started with Texas getting that close to knocking off Alabama, which would have been fantastic. But then you had App State going in in a 17-14 game taking down Texas A&M. And as we've seen out of App State this season, it's just... 
nail biter games all over the place. You had Marshall beat Notre Dame. You had BYU upset Baylor. So you had you had the six, eight, and ninth ranked teams all lose in the same week. And yeah, then Kentucky and also, take down Florida. Yeah, yep. Kentucky took down Florida in the swamp, and then also uh, Houston, who was in the top twenty-five, just barely lost a double overtime thriller to Texas Tech that week as well. But then followed it up by losing to Kansas. So. Good luck in the future Big 12, Houston, if, if you can uh, beat Texas Tech and Kansas. It's going to be going to be exciting to see our new conferences. I'm ready for it. Yeah, that will be that will definitely be interesting. Um, any teams that have stood out to you that we haven't talked about? I'm trying to look here at the standings. I've got everybody pulled up in front of me in this big giant list. Um, man. Who's, to me, to me, a lot of times it's too early to to tell right now. But I like the the one offs, like the Marshall. Is Marshall really good, or did they just beat the you know beat Notre Dame that one time? I'm trying to see who else is out there that we haven't talked about yet. The Washington Huskies being three and zero is that something that's been a little bit surprising to you, or not and, really? And Michael Penix somehow being the best quarterback in college football. If you look at the numbers, he's right up there ahead of basically everybody in yards, touchdowns, a lot of those numbers and. Two years ago, he was the stud at Indiana, and then they were awful last year, and now he's out here. So who knows if it was a bad system at Indiana, a good system at Washington. Maybe he's just matured and developed. But yeah, well, both Washington schools really impressive, but especially the Huskies with Penix. I think he's another year removed from an injury because that's what happened was they were really rolling that one year, possibly making the uh, – in 2020 – uh, and then he tore his ACL, I believe, at the end of 2020, came back from it last year, but didn't quite look the same because um, I watched him play live, actually, in week one, and and he didn't really try to run at all against Iowa, and his throws were off. His He, he just didn't look good, right? He didn't – he looked like he had hardly ever played quarterback before, so clearly – Another year removed from the injury, I think that's kind of the biggest thing for him. But if you look at the schedule, I guess beating number 11 Michigan State by 11 points at home is, is a very uh, very uh, outstanding win. The other two, not so much. Kent State, Portland State at home, I guess you would expect that a team like Washington could pull that out no matter what. But beating Michigan State, that really opened my eyes a little bit. Watch watch out for just the Pac-12 in general. You've got 3-0 Oregon State, 3-0 Washington, and 3-0 Washington State. Eventually, these schools are going to beat each other up. But we know that Colorado's bad, Arizona State's bad, Arizona's bad, Cal and Stanford we're not totally sure about. But some of these North teams may chomp on the rest of the Pac-12 and some maybe a surprising team in here. A lot of the hype is around USC and Oregon, as you'd expect. But between Oregon State, Wazoo, and Washington, you may have one of those teams sneaking out of there. And just a quick note on your uh, Big Ten here. I don't know if it's a strength of schedule thing, but the Big Ten East, their seven teams are combined to 20 and one. And the only loss is that Michigan State loss that you mentioned with Washington. But then you look over in the West and everybody is beaten up except for Minnesota. So I don't know if the teams in the West are worse or just have played tougher schedules, but the Big Ten looks kind of weird when you see all these three and oh, three and oh, three and oh, and then a hodgepodge out West. Uh, the Big Ten West is definitely worse, and because of that, it's going to be a wide-open and very <laughs> inter- interesting divisional race. So, 
It's going it's really almost anybody's game except for uh Northwestern and Nebraska. Those are the two worst teams in the division. I'll also toss Illinois out still. I'm not convinced about Illinois, but legitimately any of the other four remaining teams could win the Big Ten West, and I wouldn't be surprised. Subsequently, though, none of those teams have a chance against the eventual Big Ten East champion, whoever that ends up being. And I'm Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. And I know that Ohio State tends to get better throughout the year, but I've not been too impressed with them so far. The close game they had with Notre Dame for as great as they're supposed to be with Njigba and C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr., all these guys that are supposed to be amazing and run everybody over. I'm like, well, I still think they can get tripped up. We saw Iowa put the hammer to them a couple of years ago, and they always seem to find one game like a random Penn State or Minnesota or Michigan State game that they will stumble. They tend to get right and then win the Big Ten Championship, so they're in the playoff. But I don't know that Ohio State is this already pencil them into in the big 10 title team. Yeah, I I'm not quite doing that. I know I, I kind of did preseason, but I'm not doing that. I, I, you look at their schedule and the last week of October, having to go to uh, Penn state and play there. I think that is going to be a, uh, a really, really tough game for the Buckeyes. And you mentioned them. Let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about the Cornhuskers. I don't hate Nebraska the way most people in the state of Iowa and Iowa Hawkeye fans do. I I think they've just been beaten down so bad for so long that it's not even really fun to you know, kind of kick them when they're down anymore. But apparently Scott Frost was not the guy and get more and more stories coming out about him and his conduct in Nebraska. But the Huskers, of course, the big one, the guy who everybody's going to talk about now anytime a college job comes open is Urban Meyer. So question A, do you believe they're interested in Urban Meyer? And question B, would you want Urban Meyer if you were running Nebraska or any, let's call them top tier power five program at this point? No, I don't want Urban Meyer at this point. I think it's, I think he's a little bit, on the older side, if I'm hiring a coach and this is just probably my own personal preference, I'm not saying this is the way that Nebraska is thinking. So I guess to answer your first question, I do believe that Nebraska might be interested, but no, I don't think they should do it. Um, I think they should go for someone younger, someone who is going to be around for a longer time and can build a program, rebuild a program because if we're being honest with ourselves and Husker fans lack the ability to do this, but the program needs full on rebuilding. It's not in, in a position where they were back in the nineties and they need to understand that they're now a, a developmental program. They're not a national title contender year in year out simply just, they don't have the resources for it there at Nebraska. So I don't think of them as a sleeping giant, and I know we'll kind of get to that later, but I don't think of Nebraska as this big sleeping giant. Like maybe they were in the 90s when they were actually giants at that point in time, but I don't think the glory days are ever coming back. Uh, Yeah, and I think you're right. Nebraska fans definitely don't want to hear that, but I do think they have a deep, deep enough pockets and that alumni booster group will rally to bring in the money. I don't know that it is Urban Meyer. He's he's somehow only 58, which feels weird. I feel like he's been around forever, and he had a he was worried about his health like 20 years ago. 
But I think there's there's a lot of people they're going to look at, and I think it is the question of where do they see them fit? Because I think somebody like a Dave Aranda down at Baylor, if everybody truly believes he's this great, would Baylor to Nebraska be considered that big of a step up, or does money talk? Like a, a guys that I look at, like a Craig Bull or Chris Kleiman, Craig Bull out at Wyoming and Chris Kleiman at K-State, both guys were former North Dakota State coaches, something like that. But I also think you have to look at the Hugh Freezes or the Ed Orgerons, some of the names who have been around and have accomplished various things in the game. The The two up-and-coming names, one of which I don't want to hear, are Matt Campbell and Lance Leipold, who we talked about earlier from Kansas. Those are, seem to be kind of the two young gun names that everybody's talking about. Geographic proximity. Um, I, I can't see Matt Campbell doing it. Maybe Leipold, but at the same time, do you want to deal with everything that comes with Nebraska as a young head coach working your way up? That's why I think it's better suited for a coach who's been around the block and can deal with the headaches that are going to come with being the Nebraska coach. Yeah, I. the reason why you would do it if you're Matt Campbell and, or Lance Leipold um, from Kansas is because you you understand the changing landscape of college football and being in the Big Ten puts you in a better position to have a team that can enter the playoff conversation than being in the future Big 12. Because of what we've talked about on the show, how we're kind of, in a way, shifting to a power two model, like that's coming down the ra- down the road. So if that matters to you, as a coach, I'm not saying that it does. If that matters to you at all, that's why you would consider Nebraska simply because of the conference that they're in, not because it's Nebraska. There's some sleeping giant. And also you would have to be like, yeah, I'm going to deal with a lot of headaches. The unreasonable expectations of fans, the alumni base as well, having unreasonable expectations, I'm sure. Right, but I I don't think it'd be too hard for uh, either one of those guys to be a significant upgrade from Scott Frost. And there's one guy out there who I really like when people talk about him and kind of looking at who's out there around college football, and that's Bill O'Brien. I know NFL fans who kind of only know him from the Texans roll their eyes. He was actually a good coach with the Texans. Bill O'Brien, the GM, was not good for Bill O'Brien, the head coach. But he was great at Penn State. We have to remember he was the guy who came in after the Jerry Sandusky stuff and the reclamation project that had to be done in the wake of all that with Joe Paterno uh, leaving there. Bill O'Brien got that team situated, organized everything at Penn State. James Franklin has done a great job taking the baton and taking them to the next level and keeping where it was. But I think Bill O'Brien should get a lot of credit for that. And that's kind of what I feel like Nebraska needs is – I don't know that you tear down all the way to the studs, but you need to get back to basics, get this thing reorganized. If if you truly think you can be Nebraska of old, which I don't think is ever going to happen, but to at least be relevant and not lose to Georgia Southern or Georgia State or whoever that was. Bill O'Brien, his name I really like right now. He's the offensive coordinator at Alabama. And as we know, coaching under Nick Saban at Alabama is where you go to get your reclamation project as a head coach. And then those guys spin off to get their own gigs. But as I look at this, Bill O'Brien isn't the name that really stands out to me as somebody who'd be a good fit for them if they don't want Urban Meyer. I think those are the two names to watch. Yeah, the other the other day the report came out from, I believe it was Bruce Feldman, who's a college football insider, and, and he said the three names that are they're they're down to, that they're zeroing in on are Campbell, 
Leopold and Bill O'Brien. So I was wondering if you were going to bring up Bill O'Brien. And I think, uh, I think it's really down to those three as much as you, you may not like to hear Matt Campbell's name get tossed around in that, but I think it's really, it's, it's a real possibility. I'm convinced he's only going to leave for Ohio state and Ryan day doesn't seem to be leaving anytime soon. I I would say Notre Dame might be alluring as well. Mm, that job may be open sooner than you think. It, yeah, it, it might be. Everybody was all over Marcus Freeman because of the way the defense played last year. But as we see, sometimes making that step up from a coordinator job to head coach when you haven't been a head coach before is not easy. And. You mentioned the phrase a little bit, and I talked about it at the start of the show, the term sleeping giant. And I wanted to get into this because I think it was Dan Patrick was the first person I heard talk about it this week. But in regards to or uh, Arizona State, everybody calling Arizona State a sleeping giant. They fired Herm Edwards, tried that experiment, and it was an admirable experiment, but it didn't work out for them. And now he's gone after their embarrassing loss last a sleeping giant, a school that can have all the resources. All you need is a head coach, and they're the other team rumored to be after Urban Meyer. A sleeping giant, a team that's just a head coach away, a team like Arizona State, that high population base, a lot of talent there, close proximity to Florida or California, playing in a large conference, presumably, if the Pac-12 stays intact. But just all the pieces are there. They just need somebody to really crack open everything and bring them to that top level where they can contend, maybe not be a national championship contender every year, but be a team who's going to be in the hunt for conference titles, New Year's Six Bowl games. So I'm curious, as you look at college football, who are some of the other sleeping giants right now? Not necessarily a Nebraska who was once a national title contender and is down, but who's that team that's just, they need that coach, that difference maker to really break them out of the pack. And I kind of looked at the Power Five, not even Power Five, just the D1 schools and made my short list. But I can kind of rattle off those six names, or if you want to go first, but I want to talk about when you look at college football, who else stands out to you as a potential sleeping giant that kind of like what Dabo did at Clemson, where he finally got them over the top and got them into a usual contender status. It seems like Florida hasn't been in the conversation since uh, Urban Meyer left. So I would say that's one. I know they just hired, uh, I believe it was Billy Napier. He might be in his first year now or his second year. So I'm thinking when I, when I talk about this, I think SEC. So Florida, they're actually going to play this week, but Florida and Tennessee are two that I think. And Tennessee is maybe getting a little momentum that way. They're, they actually both are because they're both back in the top 25, but we don't think of them as powerhouses. It's kind of Alabama and Georgia that have taken over that completely because of Nick Saban and then Kirby Smart, who studied under Nick Saban. Um, man, I'm really just stuck in the SEC because – Florida, Tennessee, LSU, Texas, right? Um, maybe Texas has their guy with Steve Sarkeesian. We'll see. The jury's still out there. USC, do they have their guy in Lincoln Riley? Are they now a sleeping giant? I don't, know, they, I don't. I don't know that they. I don't know that they were ever asleep. Yeah, it, it's a. That's. Uh, yeah, I think you talked me out. I don't think they were ever asleep. Um, those are the names that are coming to mind here. And I, I think I'm going, I agree with you on Tennessee. That was one of the teams that I had because 
they were good 25 years ago with Peyton Manning there and Phil Fulmer as the coach, but they've feel like they've been a six and six team for 20 years. Once in a while they'll pop, but it feels like they're going to go six and six and play in the music city bowl against the seventh ranked team out of the big 10, but they're one that seems to be getting it right. So I think they're a team that being in the sec helps getting everything that comes with that. If you're looking for a team to rise up and contend with the Alabama and Georgia's every year, I think Tennessee can do it. And then the rest of mine, I think, are a little bit more off the radar, more in line with that Arizona State. Uh, Oklahoma State's one of them that as Oklahoma and Texas leave the Big 12, I think that could be Oklahoma State's conference to run. They have all the money in the world. Uh, T. Boone Pickens got them started off on the right track, and I think they have a wealthy enough alumni base. They can go get that money for the NIL. They can be the big dog in the Big 12. They're already doing pretty well and I don't know how long Mike Gundy wants to stay around there, but it feels like he's kind of topped them out. They may be that next generation coach away to having them. Okay. We're not going to go nine and three every year and play in the cotton bowl once in a blue moon. We're going to be a new year six contender every year. So I think Oklahoma state's in that conversation. And then this one may seem silly, but central Florida, I think they are the biggest school in Florida in terms of enrollment and one of the biggest in the country. And you have the Florida talent base to recruit from moving into the big 12. I think central Florida could make some noise here going forward. I think in five or six years, we could be talking about them as a perennial top 15 team. And then uh, three other schools, Illinois, Colorado, Louisville, Louisville's kind of always up and down, but I feel like they're one that just the right coach in that situation feels like he could really make some noise. Colorado, You have Denver, a huge metropolitan growing area. I think it'd be easy to recruit to Colorado. Plus, you basically have the run of the Midwest and the Mountain West of all those talented kids. You get the right guy there. We've seen Colorado do it before where they can win a national title. And then Illinois, the fact that you can basically cherry pick kids out of the Chicago area, you get Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, all those areas. seems weird to me that Illinois hasn't been better. I think it seems to be kind of more of a structural situation with them a system thing and i'm not saying bielema is going to be the guy these are all schools that i think maybe a coaching change you get the right guy kind of um i'm trying to think of a good example kind of like matt campbell with iowa state but he hasn't gotten them to that level but you get that that right coach right place right time i think tennessee oklahoma state central florida illinois colorado or louisville could all be schools that basically could get the Dabo sweeney treatment if they find the next Dabo. I think all the tools are there or could be there very easily. Yeah. You're, you're sparking something for me here. I think one new big 12 member, maybe that we, uh, well, I mentioned them earlier on the show. I think I told them good luck in the new big 12, but what about Houston, right? Texas is leaving. Um, you still have Texas tech and TCU in the big 12, even after Texas leaving, but Houston's a big city. It's kind of like your point about Illinois, right? They can pick people from the Chicagoland area. Problem with Illinois and Northwestern, right, and a lot of other states too, is it seems like college football in Illinois is not really a priority for the people of Illinois. When they think college football, they don't think about their hometown teams there. They care about their professional teams in in Chicago, they care about the Bears, the Cubs, the White Sox, right? The Bulls. They they don't care about Northwestern or Illinois. It's not really a part of the conversation too much uh, there. But like in Texas, all they care about is football, right? Whether it's college or NFL, all they care about is is football. And maybe Houston 
being in the Big 12 will get enough exposure to where they can kind of recruit well enough in Texas that they could become not necessarily a powerhouse, but like you said, right coach, right situation, right time. Maybe Houston is a sleeping giant. And you bring up a good point. Houston's an interesting one to look at. I do wonder what will happen to Texas recruiting once Texas is in the SEC. Is that is it just going to be game over? All the best kids are going to go to AM and Texas? Or is there just so much talent that the rest of the kids have to be spread out? And which which team kind of reigns over Texas between TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, and Houston? You know, which of those four kind of becomes the king in the castle for Texas recruiting with the two biggest schools now in the SEC? Yeah, and I think Texas has enough talent to support all those schools and more because, you know, even non-Texas schools dip into Texas for recruits and California and Florida even a little bit, right? They There's just the talent in some of those states, those three states specifically, is just – different and better in a lot of cases than most of the other states. So I think there's enough of a population in all three of those states to support those teams. I think, I think Houston's going to maybe tap into some of those recruiting advantages that they have from being in Texas. And now that maybe they didn't have when they are in a group of five conference that they will have, they'll be able to sell and say, hey, look, we're in a not necessarily a group of five conference anymore. We're in a, a much tougher conference. If you come to Houston and play football at Houston, you're going to have a chance to get a lot of national TV exposure because we're going to be in big games against Oklahoma State and Baylor and and other teams, right? We're going to be in big games. And with the playoff going to 12 teams, however, that ends up being structured be a justifiable argument to say Houston could be a playoff team every couple of years. That's also a possibility. And same, same for a lot of those other schools that you mentioned as well, right? Some of the same arguments can be made about the playoffs. Bigger playoff is good for everybody unless you're Alabama. Right. Exactly. Um, Although I will say I am a little nervous because I think, uh, some of the week one matchups of the playoffs could get a little bit out of hand. And I don't know if that's going to be great necessarily. I do think that once we get past that though, it could be really good. I feel like 16 makes more sense than 12. I I don't understand why we, how we landed on 12. I'm okay with it, but I, why not eight and eight, right? Two. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to say money. I have no other argument beyond that. Just my default answer is money. Money or maybe the logistics of a 16-team playoff? No, like, there's, there's, there's students first. They need to go to class. We can't overlap with their finals. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> Tell for how I feel about to... the student-athlete moniker. Um, yeah, it's athlete-student, as I call it. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so before I move to the NFL for a couple of minutes, just a quick rundown of the slate. Um, a good old fashioned matchup here Thursday night, as we're recording and dropping this episode, West Virginia and Virginia tech. It feels like an old school matchup rekindled uh, Clemson wake forest is looks to be the big 
Big Noon. I guess it's not Big Noon, whatever ABC's is. But they're both ranked Wake Forest, Clemson. You've got Baylor, Iowa State. Uh, scrolling down here, as you mentioned, that weirdly intriguing Duke-Kansas game with both of those two undefe- uh, unbeaten. Florida, Tennessee. What else do we have on here? Yeah, kind of a weird next week is absolutely loaded. This week, there's not a lot, but Arkansas, Oregon, Texas A&M for later in the day. Wisconsin, Oregon, Ohio Washington State. State. Oregon, Wazoo is sneaky good. Wazoo is better than people think, and this will this will be their chance to prove it if they really are that good. Now that, now that we realize that Oregon's actually really good, it's just that Georgia is that much better than everybody else. Yeah, that, that's a great prove-it game for both those teams. Rutgers, Iowa, if you're in love with punters. <laughs> They have two Australian punters, Tori Taylor from Iowa, Adam Corsack from Rutgers, and both of them are really good. Game's going to be 10 to 6. I hope so. I hope so. Anyways, if you like punting, tune in. And then, and don't sleep on the nighttime slate. That K State Oklahoma game, I think we're a little bit down on K State after last week, but that's a good one. USC Oregon is underrated. And then Stanford Washington in the West Coast Nerd game. So kind of a, I think the slate gets a little better at night. Maybe your morning and afternoons are kind of meh, but you get to that later afternoon, evening. I think Saturday picks up this week. I was going to ask you that. Uh, did you think the Oregon State Beavers had a chance at home of potentially knocking off USC? I see the line is USC by six, six and a half. Ooh. Depends where you look. But uh, the. <laughs> The, the trick with Oregon State is they don't really have a home field advantage because half their stadium is under construction. So it's like 25,000 person capacity. So I don't really know how much of an advantage you can get from that. But no, I think oh, okay. I think you have basically it's going to be a homegrown team that's recruited and developed over the last couple of years versus all the glitz and glamour and all the new bodies. I think USC has just run over people so far because they have the advantage everywhere. But the talent gap is not as great here. The coaching talent gap is not as great. So I think it's going to be a closer game than people expect. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think you're looking at like a 38 to 30 game either way. I don't think USC is going to hang 62 on them or anything crazy. Would you financially invest in Oregon State winning this football game? I mean, I'd be crazy. It's 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 more of my lack of trust in USC than my support for Oregon State. I think this, U- I think of... this USC team is susceptible that, yeah, I think Oregon State could cover a six-point spread. Okay. Okay. That's all I needed to know. Yes. Everybody, you got your gambling advice. You heard it here. <laughs> Darren says, bet your farm on Oregon State. Every Everything yep. you own, every child's college fund, whatever you got. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. If you're listening to this podcast, your kids aren't going to college. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. Kidding. I'm going to make that our tagline going forward. <laughs> yeah, if you listen to this, your kids aren't going to college. All right, moving you on. Talk, you want to talk about the NFL for a few minutes? We sure can. All right. Do you want to start? Um, because we know how much I love this knee-jerk reaction, overreaction. Would you like to start with two and O teams you're not buying, or O and two teams you're genuinely scared about? Yeah, start happy Let's, or sad. Well. Let's start with the the sad the two and O teams that I'm I'm not buying. So you your your candidates your two and O teams you've got the Dolphins the Bills the Chiefs the Eagles the Giants and the Buccaneers. So that's one two three four five six unbeaten teams. Does that sound right? 
That sounds right. Um, I think the clear and obvious candidate here is uh, the New York football giants. Although I will say I do fully expect the giants to move to three and O this week. They're playing the Cowboys on Monday night. Cooper rush at quarterback in New York. I, I like uh, the New York football giants in that one, but I think that's kind of where, and you know, I don't believe in them because I don't believe that they're seriously going to make any noise, uh, enough noise. I do think, though, that there's a chance that because of their schedule that the New York Giants could somehow sneak in and make the NFC playoffs. Because like we talked about preseason, we're having a hard time just coming up with seven NFC teams. So that means some team that's not really a threat to win at all is going to sneak in. So that might be the Giants. But I'm not believing in them per se i'm just saying because of the state of the nfc perhaps they sneak in yeah and like you mentioned the schedule they have the cowboys and then the bears and they get the bears at home we're not totally expecting a lot out of that so they could be four and oh and we could all be screaming that the sky is falling but then they play at green bay against the ravens so there may be some reality checks coming in the middle of october for this team well if you remember actually that green bay game is in london the Packers are playing in London for the first time this year. So we have Packers giants in London. So it's, it's quote unquote at green Bay, but right. in London, but yeah, this, and then the schedule, you get the Jags and the Jags are a coin flip team. That may, they may be a lot better by mid October, but as you look at it now, Jacksonville, Seattle, Houston, those are three winnable games. You could conceivably be looking at the giants as a seven and two team. Granted, I'm with you. I am 0% trusting them to be a playoff team. I think you look at this list. I think the other five are playoff teams. I'd have them in my playoffs right now. And then the Giants are very much the glaring outlier. But the schedule, how good are the Lions? You know, The Lions, Cowboys, and Commanders are all question mark teams. The Eagles are good. We think the Vikings are decent. The Colts have been a massive disappointment to start the year. So that, that schedule sets up nicely for the Giants outside of kind of the Packers and Ravens. Man, the giant schedule is bad. Yeah, that is, I mean, that is what's sticking out like a sore thumb, right? And also, you know, the Eagles schedule, I feel like the Eagles schedule is bad and the Eagles legit have a legit chance of being the one seed. So there's a 2-0 and team that I am believing. That's it. I feel like the team of the season right now is the Eagles. Everybody is raving about how much they love the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if it's because we're bored with the other ones like, yeah, Chiefs, Bucks, Bills, we expect them to be 2-0, and so it's just kind of eh. And then the Dolphins, everybody's loving because of the comeback and Tua's huge performance against the Ravens, but it feels like the Eagles are the darlings of the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Eagles and, and maybe the Dolphins are the darling teams of everybody. Although I do see the Bills getting plenty of love, and I, I've seen some ridiculous things like how do, who's going to beat the Bills. It, it reminds me a little bit of the premature talk that we had one year about who's going to beat this this new england patriots team actually i think it was preseason talk one year and then uh the chiefs came out and beat the patriots in week one but that was the cream hunt game cream hunt was a rookie he fumbled his first carry and then immediately went off for like 30 40 fantasy points against the new england patriots and the chiefs won the game and that introduced the world to cream hunt um, 
But yeah, there's a little bit of that going on with the Buffalo Bills. A lot of hype there. But I, I believe in the Bills. I don't believe they're going to win every game, but I, I'm a firm believer in them. And the Eagles, yeah, I would say that's a 2-0 and team that I am believing in. Then an 0-2 team that you could maybe panic about. Sorry, I'm jumping all no, around go here. Go ahead, go ahead. But um, are we panicking on the Cincinnati Bengals at this point? They get to play the Jets this week, so nothing cares what ails you like playing the Jets. Yeah, I agree. I agree that uh, they will get in the win column this week, but it's a little bit concerning to me that they played a Dallas team with Cooper Rush at quarterback. You would figure that the Bengals would be able to kind of take care of business in a game like that with Cooper Rush making his first start of the season, although... Cooper Rush has been around for a little bit, and he also played some last year when Dak was out last year. So it's not like this, like he's a complete, completely terrible quarterback, but he's not great. And you couldn't get it done against him. That tells me that it could be a long season. And also, we talked about how they invested all this money in their offensive line, but Joe Burrow has taken a lot of sacks this season. I think he's taken. 13 sacks already on the season and they invested a lot of money into their offensive line, but it hasn't come together yet. I do think it will. So I don't think there's a need to hit the panic button yet, but if they somehow lose to the jets, then yeah, it's, it's completely time to panic in Cincinnati. Yeah. That's why I want to give one more week to me. Two weeks is a little bit premature, but you get into week three and barring some major injury like Dallas with Dak or the Steelers with TJ Watt, then I'm going to start panicking. And I think the other team I would panic on depending, it's really depending on your perception are the Titans. Then I'm going to throw the Colts in here because Oh, one and one is basically like being Oh, and two. So I think both of those two fan bases have to be looking around and wondering what is happening. The Titans got, obliterated by the bills 41 to seven on Monday night. And that's, that's the team that I'd be really worried about. But again, it comes down to, did you expect much out of the Titans? I think we all kind of looked at them as a nine and eight team. The Colts have the worst offense right now. They've only scored 20 points through the first two games and you don't get shut out by the Jags. That's never a good look for anybody. Um, And then the Raiders, I think the Raiders are probably more who we expected something out of that aren't, aren't doing very well. Cincinnati, if Cincinnati goes 0-3, that's the team I'm really worried about. But then I would I would have to think the Raiders and Colts are next on that list for, hey, we expected a lot more out of you. I think we're just worried about the AFC South minus the Jaguars. Is uh, it to pencil the, the Jags in as the division winners? I think it is too early, but... Okay. And I think I'm more worried about the Colts than I am about the Titans in a way, just because of the way that they've arrived at 0-1 and 1. They kind of, they kind of, I mean, they had to make a good comeback against the Texans in Week One to tie that game and for it to remain tied. If you remember right, they were down like 20 to seven, I believe, and they came back in order to. Uh, force the tide, force the overtime. But they had to kind of rally the troops to make a comeback against the Texans in week one. And the Texans are are not a good team, although it seems like they're fighting. They're trying hard at this point in the season. But when we look back at that, we'll be like, how in the world were the Texans even in the ballgame 
with the Indianapolis Colts. Like, it doesn't make sense. And then also, getting shut out by the Jaguars, apparently the Jaguars just have the Colts number because the Colts have lost eight games in a row to the Jaguars, so they it's Weird. like a monkey that they can't get off their back. But huh. I'm I'm more worried about the Colts than I am the Titans because I understand getting blown out by Buffalo because Buffalo is just that good um, on a Monday night. I can't remember off top who the Titans lost to in week one, but it was competitive ball game. And I feel like they'll be back around and competing uh, this next week. It's going to be a Titans Jaguars race for the AFC South. I think at the end of the season, I I've been a Colts believer. I can't pull a plug on them yet, but they have looked horrendous to start and to go back to a point you made earlier. uh, Can we and I'm not saying the offensive line is absolved of blame, but Joe Burrow's got to get the ball out. I'm happy. I, I don't remember who the pundit was. I heard say that this week. Somebody's finally saying Joe Burrow get the ball out. It's not always on the offensive line when you have three talented wide receivers and a very capable pass catching running back in Joe Mixon. Burrow's got to be comfortable getting that ball out sooner. And whether or not that means designing some plates, we have some quick dump off options. But the offensive line, the tack issues are not all on the offensive line. There's plenty of blame to be spread around there, but. Just a quick. You know, always got to no, be sympathetic think, to the offensive linemen a little bit. They they get too much heat. I think you're I think you're spot on. Um, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, a lot of people who are more casual fans wouldn't pick up on the fact that a quarterback is holding the ball too long, or you know, it's a it's a joint effort between the quarterback and the offensive line, the receivers, and everybody. But that's that's a good call out. Hey, he is uh, holding it a little bit too long. I want to I want to play a trivia game with you. Can you name the top five quarterbacks in passing yards so far on the season? I know two of them because you wouldn't expect them. Uh, three actually: Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz, Tua Tagovailoa, and is it Lamar Jackson? No. And perhaps perhaps Jalen – oh, no, Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts? Uh, you got Josh Allen. Not nah, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, just ahead of Mr. Mahomes, one of the other big-arm young guns. Herbert. Air Bear. So, Tua uh, – the, the, this is crazy. This is, so this is why I don't put a whole lot of stock in the first couple weeks. Tua's number one, Carson Wentz two, Joe Flacco three, Josh Allen four, Justin Herbert five. And Joe Flacco has the most attempts – Five touchdowns and one interception. So. <laughs> is Joe Flacco elite? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. <laughs> is, is is Joe Flacco back? Is he back? No. Um, he's back for one more week, though, apparently. What is going so, on with Zach Wilson? Uh, that injury. I think they're just being cautious with that injury. So I think we'll see Zach Wilson back in week five. I think we're getting two more weeks of Joe Flacco. And how about that comeback by Joe Flacco, right? Leading the jets from 13 down in the last two minutes to win the game at Cleveland. And uh, tonight we get the sensational uh, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, Mitch Trubisky and Jacoby Brissett in, in prime time, which I know everybody's looking forward to. Yes, please. Yes. What's really scary about that is if I, I got a little bit of money on uh 
Jacoby Brissett. So, and here's and I, I get that every player and everybody is different, but I was look, pulling this up while you were getting us pumped for the Jacoby Brissett game. Everybody acts like Joe Flacco is a thousand years old. He was drafted the same year as Matt Ryan. So the act, the active leaders in passing yards, Flacco is fifth. It's Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, and Joe Flacco. Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers are all older than Flacco. He and Stafford are basically the same age, and we're all just now appreciating Matt Stafford now that he won the Super Bowl and is playing with the Rams. We act like he's in his prime. We all treat Joe Flacco like he's a 1,000 years old. Yeah, it's is it just because of the way he's tailed off and hasn't remained playing at a high level, but apparently he can do it for a couple weeks still. He's He's kind of become a a backup, and that's why we – treat him that way you know if he was a starter out here winning games and looking good doing it then we wouldn't feel the same but i mean his yeah. his last his last full season as a starter 2017 he went nine and seven and then boom lamar jackson gets to town and it feels like he just completely tailed off that's the joe flacco experience right if you could write a, a book on joe flacco's career <laughs> it's just called nine and seven he has never been a pro bowler. I get he played with like Brady and Manning and Big Ben and Rivers, but it's weird to me he never snuck a pro bowl in there. Yeah. That is kind of surprising with how it seems like almost everybody makes the pro bowl these days. Right. Everybody gets at least one, especially if you're a quarterback. Yeah. that That's a very surprising mm-hmm. stat to me. Um. So before we duck out of here and – uh, trying to look at some of the other things in the standings or some of the other news in the NFL. I think the big one is Jimmy G is back. So I am pushing all my chips into the center of the table on the 49ers. I wanted nothing to do with the Trey Lance experiment, but I am all in on Jimmy G at least making them a NFC championship game contender. I think we talked about how the NFC, nobody's truly that good, but I think with Jimmy G at quarterback, they're right in there with the, I would say the Buccaneers, the Rams, the Niners, and the Packers. I'm I'm not loving this Eagles team as a legitimate contender, just a good enough to win the East. So are you are you with me on Jimmy G? Did you like them with just Trey Lance or too many question marks for you to like the Niners? I was all in on the Trey Lance thing. So I think uh Jimmy G back actually caps the upside of this Niners team. Uh like you said, they uh have pretty good skill players and I think they can uh they're definitely a playoff caliber team in the NFC there's just no doubt about that I just I don't know if we're going to see them achieve what they saw what they did last season I am more of a believer in the uh Philadelphia Eagles I like my uh quarterback second run and Jimmy G is not that he is not he's not someone who can evade a rush too much or too often. So I, uh, I like my quarterbacks who can run basically is, is what it comes down to for me. Looking over at the AFC, anything stand out over there? Not other than what we've already talked about. I mean, the Bengals got to really get it together, but it, we talked about, the kind of the three-headed monster, the Chiefs, Chargers, Bills going into the season. I I really think the Bills have maybe separated themselves from those other two. I think they're kind of on, on a level of their own at this point. Well, and this looking at this week's schedule, this is going to be a prove-it time for the Miami Dolphins. We get Dolphins-Bills 
on Sunday. So time to find out if this new era with Tua and the new regime is for real there. What else do we have on this week's schedule? Chiefs Colts we thought was going to be a good game, but Bills Dolphins stands out. Packers, Buccaneers, uh, Brady, Rodgers. But um, every single one of the uh, top receiving options for the Bucks is out because Godwin's still hurt and Mike Evans got suspended. So that that could be interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, Julio time. Yeah, even Julio's hurt, though. So ah, it might be Scotty it might Miller? be Brashad Perryman. Ooh, I didn't know he was still around. Yeah, Brashad Perryman, Scotty Miller, and and Russell Gage might be nice. your top three wide receivers for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Rams, Cardinals, both teams are one and one. The Cardinals got right, winning uh, against the Raiders. Nope. 49ers, Broncos on Sunday night, and the Broncos offense needs to start doing something. <laughs> and the Niners are not the team you want to play when that's your problem. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the Broncos struggled against the Seahawks and the Texans struggled to score points against those two. And now the Niners come to town. And, I, and then Monday, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, I was I just, also going to say Cowboys Giants. Oh, no, I want to stay. As, I want to get as far away from that game as I can. I'm going to not watch it all. But a sneaky fun game. Jags Chargers. I don't really know what's going to happen, but it feels like that game could end 42 to 38 depending on Herbert's health, but just kind of a, kind of a sneaky fun one that it's probably not a nationally broadcast game, but if that's in your local market, I think you're going to be in for a silly fun game. Well, we think through two weeks that Trevor Lawrence has improved. Like he's shown significant signs of progress from year one to year two, as talented quarterbacks often do. So like maybe this is the Trevor Lawrence coming out party. That's why it's, a sneaky good game. So yeah, I, I will have my eye on that one because both teams are one and one and the chargers uh, don't have a real home field advantage, even though it's in LA, but it's always tough to make a West coast trip when you're an East coast team, but this is kind of a prove it moment for Trevor Lawrence personally, I think. And if they're able to hang in this game, then I am ready to say the Jaguars could win the AFC South. As scary as that thought might be. Yep. Uh, it's a very scary thought. Also, this is the type of game that the Chargers lose too, right? Seems kind of inexplicable to lose a game to a seemingly inferior team, but that's kind of what the Los Angeles Chargers do, right? They they look good one week, and then they come out the next week and lose to somebody that they just absolutely should. It's been their specialty for at least 20 years. Uh, their whole... Their whole franchise it seems like the, the life of their franchise. It's been their specialty to do this kind of a thing, but that's where we'll leave it. And before we get out of here, I want to do a quick uh, tip of the cap to baseball. We need to start talking about baseball some more. And I know Andrew's not our main baseball guy, but some big news happening here. Aaron Judge pushing for 62 home runs. If you're a purist, you probably think 61 is still the record. And I think we're all pretty sure that Aaron Judge is clean, despite the fact that he looks like a Greek god. But presumably he's doing all this clean, and hopefully we don't find out that it's tainted. But I do think he will get there. There's still a handful of games left, and he's at 60 as I'm recording this. The Yankees are in the playoff hunt. Houston's basically run away as the best team in the AL. Yankees to Cleveland seems to finally have locked down that topsy-turvy and not all that good AL Central. The Twins have completely tailed off, and the White Sox 
have gotten better, but not quite good enough to be in the postseason, I don't think. And props to the Orioles for hanging in there. They're just on the outside looking in, but it feels like our six teams in the AL are set uh, with Toronto, Seattle, and Tampa Bay taking the wild cards. Seattle shaking that 20-ish year playoff drought. So the six teams in the AL pretty well set. The Dodgers, clearly the best team in baseball right now. The Mets doing Mets things, good for them. Now that you have DeGrom and potentially Scherzer going together, they're going to be a tough out in the postseason. St. Louis basically has the central lockdown. I don't think there's any chance Milwaukee can catch them. And then you have the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Phillies. I think you still have a good race between the Phillies and the Brewers for that last spot. Braves and Padres look to be safe. So I think 11 of the 12 spots are pretty well secured here just with that last NL spot. But the the big stories, you have Judge going for the purest home run record. And then Mr. Albert Pujols still chasing 700. I think this is going to be his last season. It'd be great for him to, you know, for baseball, they get a 700 home run hitter. It's been a while since we've had that. And another guy who we presume has been clean for all or most of his run. And Albert Pujols, I think, is a pretty well-liked guy, especially around St. Louis. Yeah, especially around St. Louis. Uh I don't get into baseball too much, but it is cool to see the judge thing, the pools thing, and the way that Shohei Otani is playing all at the same time because he's having a sensational season as well. So uh, one of my friends brought this up on uh, social media, but he was kind of taken aback by the fact that like media is not covering these three things um, by and large, like specifically talking about like ESPN and other networks, they're, they're talking about hot take type things around surrounding football and all that kind of stuff and not giving a lot of love and credit to these great baseball accomplishments. I feel like this has been one of the uh, more memorable baseball seasons in recent history and it's not getting a, the coverage that I think it deserves. And and you bring up a perfect point. This is a lot of my disillusion and dismay with modern sports media is they would rather spend eight hours, whether it's TV or radio or social media, talking about the most innocuous point of any NFL game rather than talking about legitimate actual baseball accomplishments. And I'll admit I'm not the biggest baseball fan. It's more of a passing attraction for me as compared to other sports. But these are historical moments that could be happening in the sport. And they're just like, oh, and by the way, also, this is Aaron Judge playing for the New York Yankees. Imagine Aaron Judge playing for the Cleveland Guardians or Texas Rangers, Kansas City Royals. He's probably not getting anywhere near this much attention, and it's still a blip on the radar. It's kind of like, oh, let's let's talk for six hours about one Justin Herbert throw, but not a guy who is likely going to hit 62 or more home runs. Yeah, and... You're right. He plays for the Yankees and he's, he's trying to uh, get up there with uh, Roger Maris, right? At 61. So, and trying to break it and surpass it. And he's trying to do it against the Boston Red Sox this weekend. Which is, there's your Hollywood sports moment right there. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to, uh, and I, I think he can definitely get it too. And I'm, I'm rooting for that. So, but then immediately once the playoffs roll around, I'll be done rooting for anything Yankees related. So, uh, <laughs> unless they're playing the Astros, nobody likes the Yankees. That's 100% factually correct. So, uh, well, no one who isn't a Yankees fan, I should say, but he brought up Justin Herbert 
Hey, Justin Herbert's ribs are injured and he's getting treated by the team doctor. He's getting Uh-oh. treated by the same doctor <laughs> who screwed up Tyrod Taylor and is getting sued by Tyrod Taylor. So I guess I'm no better than the national media bringing it back to NFL after we talked about baseball briefly, but how, how strange is that? That's I, I still have a conspiracy theory about that whole thing. So I don't need to get into that today. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think I'm with you on your conspiracy theory, but how does that guy still have a job? Right. I Justin Herbert paid him off. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and talking about sports that we don't give enough attention to, I my dropping the ball on this, the Las Vegas Aces claiming the WNBA crown finally. I picked them to win it last year. I was a year too soon. The Cinderella Sky came back and got them. But the Aces, they've been building for the last couple of years, and they're absolutely loaded. Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, I think Kelsey Plum, just loaded with talent. This looks like a team, if you want to find your WNBA equivalent of the Golden State Warriors, the Aces look built to run it back year after year after year and a great little postseason out of the WNBA this year that really should have got a lot more attention. They have a lot of young up and coming stars, marketable stars uh, that we could talk about here a lot more than we do, but props to Las Vegas aces for getting it done on the WNBA side. That's great. Um, I also saw the other day to it's Iowa related, Iowa Hawkeye sports related, but, there's going to be a women's basketball games broadcast on Fox this year. And I was going to be a part of four of them, like national TV, Fox broadcasting women's basketball games. So I think that's great. And I think it's the first time ever that Fox is doing that because ESPN has traditionally been the one to put women's basketball games on air, but it sounds like uh, starting this season that Fox is going to, do that as well and then i know with the new tv deal it that's part of it as well with the new tv deal there are going to be a lot of women's basketball games broadcast on the fox networks but also like nbc peacock more specifically is basically going to have every uh women's basketball game will be available on peacock i believe so the women's basketball sport at the college level is starting to get a uh, pickup as well and get some national exposure, which I think is good. Sounds like everybody's getting on the Caitlin Clark hype train. Yeah. Well, you talk about marketable, star- marketable stars for the Las Vegas Aces. I mean, Caitlin Clark is one, but then you've got, uh, you've got Paige Beckers and then, um, Oh, I'm blanking on her name. We talked. We talked about this last year. The South Carolina girl. Oh, did she graduate? I thought she went to the WNBA. No, I know who you're talking about. Your conspiracy that ESPN loves her more than they do Caitlin Clark. What is her name? Well, that's not a conspiracy. They love the SEC, so they'll favor anything SEC all day, um, because of the because follow the money. But um, yeah, I I forget her name, but I'm sure there's other marketable players at the college level too that can be talked about so now you got me thinking about this i need to figure it out um what was her name she played in the post i can't remember well, see, see this we... is why she shouldn't won the player of the year because we can't remember her name Aliyah boston that's it that's the one anyways i'm an ashley jones fan myself but i'm biased well, I mean, I've seen her play. She's great. 
So um, it, it will be good because we'll get to know more of these players the more and more these games get televised. I guess that's the point I was trying to make is that more and more of the, of, uh, the women's games are going to get televised at the college level, and I think that's a great thing. See, we are a full-service sports talk show. I like to talk about a little bit of everything, and it's kind of fun to do a show like this. We've had it all mapped out for about a month and a half now. We just wanted to do kind of a freewheeling. Let's jump around and talk about anything in the sports world. A rare feat to get Andrew on here back-to-back. I don't like to monopolize any one co-host time so we can spread it out and uh, change it up. But got Andrew here back-to-back, so happy to have him with us to guide us through the football scene and Hopefully I'll be back here in a couple of weeks to talk about the uh, weird Iowa State-Kansas undefeated game that none of us were expecting. I I am hoping that that happens. I am hoping that that comes true because I just I want to see it. What if Kansas wins the Big 12 in Texas and Oklahoma's last year in the Big 12? That I, – I don't know how anyone could dislike that. I think we would all <laughs> – very much like that. Is it weird that we're like we all kind of cheer for Kansas football, but we all deeply despise Kansas basketball, no matter who you are? It's strange. They're just they're just such lovable losers, right? It's like they've <laughs> never been good outside of that one 2007 year. They had that great year, and then they immediately, like, directly went back to being bad. So, and have never been good, and ever again and they they've basically been like an fcs team masquerading in the power five conference right like not <laughs> like like not just like oh like five and seven bad like two and ten bad forever right and zero win seasons and one win seasons yeah. thrown in there too so yeah that I, that's why we cheer for them but maybe unfortunately maybe they'll become maybe they're a sleeping giant are they a sleeping giant uh, if you, if there's some like legacy bet that you can put out there for like total college football wins over the next five years, if you want to go like yeah, 40 on Kansas, I'll leave that up to you. Do I get, do I get Lance Leipold? Do I get the guarantee that he's going to be there for those next five years? Cause I think maybe they found the right coach and that's why this is happening. Uh, no, you get him for one more year until Auburn hires him. Ah, well then I'm I'm out on the Kansas hype train then. <laughs> it it begins it, and ends with Lance Leipold. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Well, that'll do it for us this week. More more talking here. You can get on any other national show talking about Kansas football wise. Uh, but thank you all for joining us. We'll be back with you next week, episode seventy seven. Thank you for joining us.